All right. Uh, welcome back to the to our series on on Christian fellowship. We're discussing Christian fellowship uh, over the course of three weeks, and uh, the way this is is shaping up. Last week we discussed the foundations of fellowship um, in the heart of God, the image of man, why we exist, uh, and what what does it mean to be created in the image of God. A lot of that comes down to fellowship, joining him in fellowship, participating in the life that has existed throughout eternity between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That life overflowed and created us. And so in that image, we uh, have relationship with each other and with God. Uh, It's one of the primary things that we were created for. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about, uh, if you want to go to the next slide, although we love those values. All right, yeah, so tonight we're going to talk about kind of this middle section so last week we talked about uh, really vision and commitment, having a vision for who are we, what is relationship, what is fellowship, and why is it an important idea in Scripture. Uh, John in his gospel and in uh, his letter that we read points us back to in the beginning. In the beginning was a relationship. In the beginning was fellowship. And so uh, that is, that's who we are. That's what we were created for. Um, and then commitment uh, just is a, is a dedication of ourselves and investing of ourselves in, in that idea that we were created for relationship and that relationship through the blood of Jesus, relationship with the Father has been restored, but also relationship between any two human beings that were created in the image of God has been restored as well. There is nothing that can divide humans anymore who are uh, walking in Christ. Um, amen. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to call this because we, we've got some alliteration going on. It was Foundations of Fellowship. So tonight we're talking about the forging of fellowship. Forging of fellowship. Next week, um, I'm trying to decide whether it's going to be the focus of fellowship or the fruit of fellowship. Maybe both. Uh, but... Started with foundations, so I had to keep keep on with the with the Fs. Um, so we're gonna we talk about this middle section here. Uh, some disclaimers before we before we start. And um, honestly, I, the the spirit's really been stirring in my heart all week uh, a sense of expectation for tonight. Uh, not necessarily something that happened tonight, but what we're talking about tonight. Is a, is a deeply important thing. So there may be something here or there that just pops out and hits you. And I encourage you to, whatever that is, maybe it's not the main point. Uh, maybe it's one of these disclaimers. You know, these disclaimers may be the biggest thing that you take away. But um, I really do believe that the Spirit has led us to this time, this season, and that right now, if you will hear what the Spirit wants to say to our church, uh, we will grow. We will take a next step in maturity uh, to be the, the church that God wants us to be in this city. Um, so, some disclaimers. Uh, trust. So, we're, we're headed toward trust and unity. right? That would be kind of the goal, the focus, or the fruit of fellowship. <clears throat> but trust... And unity does not mean that we now exist in a place 
and in a community of people that never disappoints one another, never hurts one another. Okay, far from it. Um, This is not what we're talking about. And I hope you realize that when you entered into the family of God, that's what you enter, a family. Does your family never hurt you? Does your family never disappoint you? Does your family never bother you, never get on your nerves? Far from it. Right? But when you, come, when you came into the family of God, you were placed with other people who are going through the same process as you. Moving out of a life of deep selfishness and into a life of, self, uh, of other-oriented living, self-sacrificial living, that's a process. We're all a work in progress. And so we mingle around as works in progress. All right? And so hurt will happen. We will hurt each other. We will disappoint each other. We will hurt each other without even meaning to. All right? So we just have to get that out of the way. That we're not talking about this just like tranquil, uh, totally smooth, totally cordial um, way of, of living. All right? You, you entered a family with, with all of the, the great things that it entails and with all of the difficult things that it entails. Uh, you didn't enter, and praise the Lord for this, you did not enter a weird cult. All right? Where the really committed people have had some sort of lobotomy and now just are problem free. (laughs) That's not who we are. That's not what happened when we got saved. We are still capable of emotionally damaging each other. All right. And if you just start there and stop with the expectations of, oh, these people, because because they are following Jesus, they will never... They will never, uh, they should not ever do anything that would hurt me. No, you will get hurt a lot. Let's just get that out of the way. All right, so that's disclaimer number one. Um, Yeah, so we're all sinners, recovering sinners, reforming sinners who are learning how to live like Jesus. And we all have a long way to go. All right, I have a long way to go. All home group leaders have a long way to go. Uh, The person that's been around here the longest has a long way to go. Uh, trust means that we know each other's hearts. Right? Trust means that there's, and I'll talk about more, it's, we walk in the light. Okay? That we are convinced of each other's familiness. That we know that, you're, that we are brothers and sisters. That's the trust and the unity that we're reaching toward. Now think about it with even just your natural brothers and sisters. Or whoever it is, whoever it is that's most family to you. That's not smooth. That's not always... I mean, there, there are some hard times. Okay? The Barlow's just came from a family reunion. Was it perfectly smooth? Was it? <laughs> yeah. uh, trust means moving from a contract style of relating to a covenant style of relating. Okay, and, and things are protected and covered by a covenant that aren't protected and covered by contract. I do this, you do this. And we fulfill each other's expectations for each other. That's not family living. Right? That is contractual living where if you break this, I now have the right to break something in you. All right. All right, the second disclaimer is about unity. Uh, unity is around the glory of God. 
and involvement in the work of living out his kingdom in the earth. That's what unifies the people of God. That's what the family is formed around. The Father's will. All right, that's what makes us brothers and sisters. Who are my mother and brother and sisters? The one who hears the will of God and does it. That's where our unity is found. Okay, so we aren't just community for community's sake. Humans have a built-in need for community, right? And I think these days, people are very hungry for community. That's a great thing. That's going to draw them to church. But guess what? Maybe 20 years ago, people were really hungry for a really palatable gospel. Or maybe 50 years ago, people were hungry for a real intellectual presentation of faith. Very scholastic. What I'm saying is, we might have something that people are wanting, but that is not going to transform their lives. That's going to meet their need. Okay? So here's, here's the point. The church is not built to meet everybody's unique need for community in the way that they feel that need. Okay? And so when we talk about unity, when we talk about the goodness of community, we have to make sure that we're talking about, and I think the word fellowship really keeps us on track. Fellowship is participating together in a work. Okay? And that really is the only thing that can truly hold us together. All right, so if you are here because you felt a need for community or had a particular need in your life that a community could help you with, that's great. But what you need to know is that at some point, there will need to be a shift in your heart to an understanding that we are all asked to lay down our lives for what we have here, for each other. For the purposes of God. And not to just glean the fruit off of the lives of those who are doing that. Right? When you give your lives to each other. When you lay down your lives for each other. It produces an amazing thing. It produces a loving community. Okay? But unless you take that shift. And and really it takes an encounter with God. To shift from. Oh wow this is great. I love being around these people. To. I see what God is doing. And I see that he wants this in every city. He wants this to spread throughout the whole earth. And what that's going to take is for me to lay down my life to see that happen. And that is giving, that is being given to the work of the church. And that, then you find yourself in true unity. Not just surrounded by a nice community and nice people and good families, and wholesome things, but given to a mission with other people. All right. Does that make sense? Truth and uh, trust and unity. So we have to be careful not to turn these into uh, kind of modern psychological uh, benefits in our lives. Okay, that's that's not really what God is, is ultimately after. Where trust is, oh right, I finally got over my trust issues and, and now, now I'm somewhere where people aren't going to disappoint me. 
then it probably still will. All right? But the, the good thing is that now you're somewhere where you understand what to do with disappointment. And where disappointment can actually cause you to, and give you an opportunity to grow into the image of Jesus to a greater degree. Does that make sense? Where hurt actually doesn't alienate you from other people. It actually brings you together closer. And it makes you more like Jesus. All right. We'll talk more about that kind of thing uh, next week. So uh, where I want to start tonight, well, we've already started. I started with those two disclaimers. Uh, Where I want to go next is I want to look at a couple of key therefore sections in Paul's letters. All right. We talked about the foundations. We talked about the eternal realities. Paul often in his letters will shift to now. What does that look like in, in the way that we live? Okay, so we've got vision, commitment, and now we want to look, therefore, and it's always predicated on what came before, right? You can't just sit out and just go ahead and be honest with every single person in your life. You smell bad. I don't like you. Those are terrible pants, you know, and just start dealing out every stream of consciousness. You know, that's not really what we're talking about, right? We've got a vision. We've got a commitment. We're in this together. Um, I want to start in Philippians 2. Right at the beginning here, we, we talked about this section last week, mostly about the example of Christ. Um, and that's what Philippians 2 is, is known for, is the Christ hymn. But when you read Philippians and you zoom out a little bit, you start to realize that that is an illustration. That's an illustration that Paul brings into a point he's trying, trying to make. And the point is how to love each other, how to live in community together. Okay, so he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, now that's a rhetorical if. I mean, is there encouragement in Christ? Yes, there obviously is. Have we been encouraged by the love of Jesus? If there is any comfort from his love, have we been encouraged by Christ? Have we been comforted by his love? Yes, we talked a lot about that last week, how he laid down his life for us. So... That's the way that we should love one another. Any participation in the spirit, that's fellowship. That's the word fellowship. So if there's any encouragement from Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship in the spirit, right? If this is the life we're living, complete my joy, not just by receiving those things, but complete my joy by... Being of the same mind, having the same love. That's another great way. This is kind of a biblical way of saying vision and commitment. Same mind is vision. You think through, you understand how this goes. The mindset, the approach to life is the same. Have the same mind, have the same vision for who God is and what your life is about. And the same love. And love is an act of commitment at whatever cost to me for the good of someone else. Have the same commitment. Have the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. This is trust and unity. This is where we're headed. Now he brings Jesus in to be an example of these things. But here's what he says. 
This is one of the most important and insightful passages on how to live in relationship in all of the Bible. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's brutally simple. Right? Just don't, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Like, you can understand that. That makes sense. But then you start to dig into it and you go, this is really, this cuts deep. Through this chapter, there are four, there are actually four obstacles of true community. We've already heard two, selfish ambition and conceit. The other two are a little later, after the Christ hymn, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now also is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've been saved. Now work out the salvation. It's not like work out being saved. It's like we're not talking about bargaining with God over salvation. Hey, God, let's work something out here. No, that's not, that's not the workout that it's talking about. Work out, meaning you're saved. Now let's see the outworking of that. Hey, if there's, if there's encouragement in Christ, if there's comfort from his love, let's see it. Let's show it. Let's work it out in fear and trembling, right? Humility, a posture of reverence to Christ and of humility towards one another. For it's God who works in you. This is, that's a very comforting passage in this whole section. Oh, I don't know if I can do this. Well, it's God who works in you. This is what he's doing in your heart. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And here's the other two enemies of true community. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. All right, Um, if you ever heard one of my favorite preachers ever, Dennis Kinlaw, uh, you've heard some of this before. But do nothing from selfish ambition. All right, selfish ambition. Now you might say, I don't have, you know, I'm not an ambitious person. Maybe you're just not a really assertive person. You're off the hook because you're not assertive. That's not what it's talking about. Okay, selfish ambition applies to every person here. Selfish ambition is, uh, what do I get out of this? Doing something for what you get out of it. That's good. All right. Does that, does that ring a little more, <laughs> hit it a little closer to home for you? What is in this for me? What do I get out of this relationship? That's selfish ambition. That is, I'm doing this, my motive is what I get. Does this feel good? Is this uh, enjoyable? Does this fulfill my sense of what I should be doing in life? Does this fulfill me? Don't do anything from selfish ambition. 
This is looking to your own interests. Right? That's, a, that's kind of a business term. Right? What, are, what is your interest in this? Well, here's what I get out of it. Right? We don't look in... We're talking about relationship. We're talking about community. We don't look to our own interests in community. Okay, we have to start there. Now, we get, we reap, and this is, I almost feel guilty saying this because we all get so much out of this, don't we? I get so much out of my friendships. I get so much out of my relationships. But that's not what motivates us to do this and can never become our chief motive because then it breaks down. Then it becomes self-serving. Or conceit. Conceit. This is a great Greek word. It just means uh, this literally empty glory. Empty glory. And this is all about, this is about appearance. Okay? So don't do anything for what you get out of it. And don't do anything for how you think it makes you look. I mean, doesn't this just like slap you across the face? I mean, every time I, I go through this and I consider, oh my gosh. Paul just knew how to get right to the heart of it. What's in it for me? How does it make me look? I mean, right there, you can probably uncover a lot of things that you do. The motives behind a lot of the things that you do. You don't even realize it. How will I look? That, that, is, that is a great uh, taskmaster, a slave master in the human life, is appearances. Especially now. You know, I think we are so driven by appearances. Okay? Empty glory. It's empty glory. It's not true glory. It's not the glory of God. It is empty glory. It's praise, but it's really just flattery. Right? I think the epitome of empty glory would be like a like on social media. Right? If we're, if, I mean, like, well, we do it for likes. The more likes, the better. That is, that is empty glory. That means nothing. It has nothing to do, but it, it makes you feel like there's some sort of worth or, or glory to what you're doing. I mean, Jesus, it says later in the Christ hymn, it says he was obedient to the point of death. And it makes sure that we know that it was death on the cross. Because it wasn't just death in a back room. It was public, naked shame. And that's what the cross was designed for. Even death on a cross. The father asked him to go do it. And he didn't say, well, that's going to make me look I mean, that's going to be embarrassing. Right? I mean, how can you look at Jesus on a cross and then go worry about how something that God wants you to do is going to make you look? All right. It doesn't get any easier. Do all things without grumbling. Grumbling, you know what grumbling is? Grumbling. It's 
muttering under your breath. It's behind the scenes chatter. Uh, Dennis Kinlaw said this, and it's, it's, he says, I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to go study grumbling in the Old Testament. If you're kind of a complainer, he said, I dare you. What you find out is that God takes it very seriously. Very seriously. Like deadly serious. And what's at the heart of grumbling? What is at the heart of grumbling? What'd you say? Yeah, unthankfulness. This is a, well, I don't, I deserve better. That's what's behind grumbling. I deserve better than this. I deserve better. God takes it very seriously. The people of Israel got out there, were miraculously saved, and their little tummies start to rumble, and they start to say, why did you bring us out here? You're trying to starve us. We want to go back to Egypt. Is better in grumbling. When there's a now, listen. I, I want to talk to the youth over here. <laughs> Josh is getting whiplash over there <laughs> because this is something that comes up in your teens. Do you, do you become aware of of this? Uh, the fact that. The things that your parents want you to do are highly unjust (laughs) and extremely, extremely unnecessary. All right, and and you go. Listen, listen carefully. You have an opportunity now. If you face that grumbling and you, and you let God kill that inside of you, through, listen, he does it through your parents, right? How does God work at the grumbling in your heart? He gives you parents and he makes you a teenager. That's how God works us through grumbling. He gives us parents who are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. He's always on about this thing. And it, but here's, here's the thing. You have an amazing opportunity. Right? Are you a grumbler? Are you guys, are you grumblers? You grumble? All right. Henry doesn't grumble. Maybe he does. I don't know. You can grumble silently, by the way, Henry. But if you, if you meet God on that, and, 
And what I mean is when you realize, oh, this is, this is making me grumble. And I'm talking to everybody here. But maybe you have a boss. Maybe you have some, something that, that induces grumbling in you. That is an opportunity for you to, to allow God to deal with something that can potentially cause you decades and decades of spiritual paralysis. Okay, it was grumbling that cost the first generation of Israelites entry into the promised land. God said, I'm not taking grumblers in there. Can't do it. And so he just left them out in the, in the grumble area. And there they died. All right, God takes it very seriously. All right, here's another one that's good for the youth, but it's good for all of us. Disputing. Disputing. The Greek word is really just dialogue. God wants us to walk with him without, without the dialogue. Right Now, prayer is one thing, right? Conversation with God, opening our heart to God. But dialogue is a different thing. Disputing is a different thing. This is arguing. This is, as, as Kim I would put it, this is yes, but. Yes, God, but. And think about this. We've got things in our lives that induce this response. Yeah, but... I think the best example of this is Jesus in the garden, wrestling with God, praying with God, Father, if there's any other way. He was dealing with a yeah, but... Yeah, I want to do your will, but is, (laughs) is there another way to do this? I mean, thankfully for us, that recoiling at what the Father was asking him to do did not prevent him from actually doing the will of God. Praise the Lord. But it's good to know that Jesus kind of recoiled at some of the things that that God told him to do and was able to push through that, was able to silence the but and say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. All right, so those four things, I think just keeping in mind those four things, uh, we don't even have to talk about honesty, vulnerability, forgiveness. If you just focus on and, and meet with God on any of those four things, you're going to be way down the road in the way that you form relationships, in the way that you approach relationships, right? Because you're not going to be in it for what you get out of it. All right, just take that off the table of any relationship, what I get out of it. How does that change how does that change your relationships? All right, take, take what I get out of my marriage off the table. Well, that kind of like, there goes 80% of the arguments. Right? Well, what I want to get out of this and what you want to get out of this and how are we going to get out of this what we want out of it? All right. 
It was good to spend some time there. I got to keep going or else we're going to run completely out of time. Go to Ephesians. This is the next therefore. Okay, so that's the therefore. Hey, because of what Jesus has done. And by the way, Paul is telling them, don't complain about anything. He's telling them, don't argue with God. Don't argue when you're asked to do something that you think uh, you don't deserve. I deserve better than this. Don't do stuff for what you get out of it. Don't do stuff for what it, how it makes you look. <laughs> He's writing this from prison. From chains. And he goes, hey guys, I'm just rejoicing here in my chains. Uh, how are you doing? How's your relationships? Oh, you have some problems with each other. That's, that's, that's fine. That's cute. Guys, don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Signed, the guy who's in prison for the, book, the gospel. Right? If I'm not complaining... You guys, why don't you, why don't you shut up? <laughs> right. There's another detail I'm going to get to in a second about, that, about Philippians that I, that I love. All right, Ephesians 4. I, therefore, this is after we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge at the end of chapter 3. Therefore, he's in chains in this letter too. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, prisoner for the Lord, urge you... To walk, that's ongoing, that's the way that you live day to day, it's an ongoing lifestyle, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Work out your salvation. Let's see some results. All right, God of the universe died for you, canceled the debt of sin against him, and didn't obliterate you and didn't send you to hell. What are you going to do now? <laughs> you know? How in the world could we live a self-centered life after that? That's what he's saying. So walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility. This is a mindset. This is a mindset. This is a way you view yourself. Count others more significant than yourself. Gentleness. Gentleness, this is meekness. This is an attitude that just doesn't think that is pretty sure I'm really not all that. All right? That's technical Greek definition. I'm really not all that. All right? Patience. Patience. This is a great definition of patience. It's a state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. A state, it's an emotional word. Right? This means you can't rage quit. I've been known to rage quit things. No boiling over. No deep sighs of resignation. <sighs> right? That's impatient. Patience is emotional restraint in the face of something that's taking a while to get to where it's going to go. He says, be patient with each other. It's going to take a while. Get comfortable. Stop blowing up at each other. This is family. Come on. What are we doing here? Bear with one another in love. We endure. That's, that's endurance. It's just in long haul. We bear with each other. Somebody gets a little crazy, starts to 
Be a little self-centered. All right, let's we got to bear with him. Let's bring him back. How long is it going to take? I don't know. As long as it takes. There is one body. The point is that we're growing up into maturity. We're becoming like Jesus. And so we're no longer infants. We're tossed to and fro, as he says, by the winds of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Now we're getting into honesty, vulnerability, and forgiveness. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Skip down to verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, members one of another. It doesn't just say we're family. It says we're actually the same body. Like, you're my brother, but you're also my arm. (laughs) My actual person. We are members of each other. You get fed up with your arm and just... Cut it off? No. If something's wrong with your arm, you'll do everything. You go see Rebecca and get a nice cast put on there, you know, and be patient while they, while it heals, right? Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. See, these things fester in our hearts. When we have stuff that, that gets in our hearts, when we're not speaking the truth in love, It gives opportunity to the devil. What's the devil like to do? He loves to accuse. He loves to worm his way between people and turn people against each other. Right? When we let things fester in our hearts towards each other, we're giving opportunity for the devil to do what he loves to do. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So speak truth with one another in love so that you don't... Give place to the devil and so that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Any ill intent, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's how we work out our salvation. Right? We embody for others what Jesus embodied for us. All right, so I love those two therefores in Philippians and in Ephesians. It tells us how to live, but why we live that way. But what does it look like? It looks like humbly laying down our lives, seeing the relationships that we're placed in, as more significant than we, what we want out of life than our own agendas, and we give ourselves to that. All right, so honesty, vulnerability, and forgiveness. I think if you were to, to just put one, one phrase that kind of sums all of that up, it's in 1 John. And it's actually right after the first four verses. It's what he immediately says right after the great intro when he talks about the joy of fellowship with the Father and the Son together. All right? 
This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, he's going to go on and describe darkness as hating each other. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Right? So if we hate our brothers, we don't have fellowship with God. If we love and if we're open and we're in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And in the, in the, this, so in the light means things are visible. I'm visible. I'm known. Right? This is honesty. This is vulnerability. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But what about all those ugly things that everyone sees? And the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Get that stuff out so the blood of Jesus can cleanse it. Right? Not so that we can hold it against each other. Get it out in the light. Bring it into the light. Listen. And right after this, he says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful picture. It's all, it's all jumbled up. Sin is not just an issue about your relationship with God. Sin causes you to hate your brother. It causes you to walk in darkness and it affects your relationship with God. Get that stuff in the light. Confess your sins. And when all that stuff comes into the light, now the blood of Jesus can deal with that. Cut off there. All right, so honesty, vulnerability, and forgiveness. What is that in a nutshell? It's walking in the light. Walking in the light. This is the goal. This is what, this is what forges fellowship in the body of Christ. Walking in the light. So what does that look like? All right, speaking the truth in love, I think, is, is a great, uh, another great way to sum up that process. Walking in the light, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Confession, by the way, in in Greek is a great word. It just means it's homo logos. It means your word is what the thing is. You just say, say what a thing is. Right? That's very akin to speaking the truth in love. We're fine, we're after truth, okay? The goal is truth. The goal is not for someone to be right and someone wrong. The goal is not for somebody to win. The goal is truth. What is true? The goal is not to subdue one another. The goal is not to decide major life decisions for each other. The goal is truth. And we speak truth. Faults in the light can be forgiven. Faults that are in the light can be forgiven. Faults in the dark divide us from God and from each other. All right, so speaking the truth in love, this is being honest. There's a continuum uh, of ways that we speak the truth in love. The New Testament mentions a lot of them. Uh, Everything from uh, counsel, encouragement, all the way to rebuke, right? There can be some pretty hard words that we have to give to each other. And there's kind of everything in between. There's exhortation, there's admonition. A lot of them are on that list of one another verses. This is how we do life with one another. Encourage one another. 
but a lot of it comes down to, to the way that we share and the way that we verbalize and communicate these things with each other in love. Um, Leviticus uh, 19, this is, a, this is an important verse. Right? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is where that commandment comes from. Leviticus 19, 17. It's actually in 18, verse 18. But the verse right before that says this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't go around with thoughts about someone that you don't like. I think that they, I don't like the way that they treated me in this way. And if, if you carry that around, you're incurring sin. Doesn't matter what they did, you are incurring sin by keeping that inside of you and burying that grudge against someone. He says, out with it. Reason frankly with your brother. Go tell them, go talk to them. And Jesus underscores this in Matthew 18. If someone sins against you, go to them. Go tell them. I mean, don't, don't go bowl them over with it. Don't go get in their face. I mean, don't take them to court. He says another thing. He says a lot about that too. But just go and say, you know, it's really hurt. And then it says in Matthew 18, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. You've gotten closer. You've grown in familiness by just being honest. All right? This is why gossip... Is, is such a deeply damaging thing. Gossip is us just kind of voicing our opinions about other people and not including them. Opining about other people's lives. We love to opine about other people's lives. It's, it's like, it's so seductive. We sit around and, well, I think that they should, and I don't know, if, I, don't, I wasn't sure what I thought about that. What did you think about that? Oh, I don't know. Right, if, you, if you're doing that, and genuinely, I mean, there's a way to do that in a way that is in their interest, Right? But more often than not, your opinions should be voiced with the person first. All right? And that does something. That builds trust. That builds relationship. You have nothing to lose from that. Except maybe appearance. All right? Because the other side of this is vulnerability. Vulnerability is literally exposing yourself to potential hurt. All right, vulnerability, we make ourselves vulnerable. We can make ourselves invulnerable, invulnerable in a lot of different ways. Right? Maybe someone has trouble being honest with me about something they see in my life. They have trouble bringing an, an exhortation to me, bringing counsel to me, even bringing a rebuke to me because of the way that I respond to that kind of thing. It's not very vulnerable. So no one wants to share with me if I'm going to fly off the handle. and What are you talking about? Totally misunderstand me. You know, that's not, that's not being vulnerable. 
we should, when, when people share with us, the other side of this is we need to, even if, it's, even if it might be wrong, our first step is to be vulnerable. Let it, let it out. Let it do its thing. Right? Don't react. Don't defend. Just hear. Right? Listen. Ask a question. Ask clarifying. Can you explain what you mean? All right. Go pray about it. Right? Allow these things into our lives. Because the other side of this is when you're honest with someone, you also need to be vulnerable in your honesty. So we don't come and, and, and just wallop people with our opinions. Go, I think you're completely wrong. You're way off course. You should not be doing this. That's, that's an invulnerable way of sharing with someone. That's not speaking the truth in love. That is badgering someone with your opinion. All right? That doesn't build community. The way to be vulnerable as we're being honest is to admit that this might be wrong. That this is, this is my thought. This is my opinion. This is what it seems like to me. And invite someone into the process of trying to figure out whether that's true. All right? If we're after truth as someone who's being honest with someone, we're not wanting to be right. We're wanting to, them to see truth, and we are wanting ourselves to see truth. All right? So sometimes when you keep a lot of stuff in, you got a lot of opinions about people, you think they might need to change in some ways. You're pretty immature. You don't know what you're talking about, but you don't know that you're immature and that you don't know what you're talking about because you never bring it out, and no one's ever said, no, that's wrong. You're off. You're just, that's just your thing. That's just the way you see stuff. All right, this is a valuable process. And there's a hundred other little things, little examples that I could throw in here. Um, but you see the dynamic. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Don't carry things. Don't carry opinions, especially like moral opinions about other people in your heart. And just carry them around and relate to them from, the, from that place. Well, they're just, that's how they are. That separates brothers and sisters. It needs to be out there at the very least so that you can know that they know what you think. And that brings trust. They may not agree with you, but now it's not something you're holding in your heart. Does this make sense? It's not something you're holding in your heart anymore. You know that they know it. They know that you've shared it. They know what you think. It's a win-win, right? There's greater trust there. Oh, yeah, he just thinks that this thing's dumb that I do. But I got my reasons to do it. He knows that, and we've talked about it, and that's that. You know, If it really is a sinful thing, Matthew gives a next step. If you really do believe someone's in sin, and they're not listening to you, you go and get two or three other people. Why? Because two or three witnesses expands the likelihood that those people are seeing things clearly. All right, a second set of eyes, a third set of eyes, that gets you, that ensures accurate knowledge and vision of what is true. Okay? So vulnerability is being vulnerable to other people's input. Vulnerable when you're sharing that you could be wrong. I could be wrong, but this is what I'm seeing. Let's find truth together. And there's even a vulnerability where you're okay with being wronged. Someone did wrong you, 
Not worth it. Cover it. Right? Paul talks about this when he says, why are you taking each other to court? 1 Corinthians 6, 7. This is really interesting. Anybody there already? You can just read it. 6, 7. First Corinthians 6, 7. It says, to have lawsuits with one another is already a defeat for you. The fact that it has escalated and you have to take each other to court, you've already lost. Why not rather suffer wrong? Right? If we're going to submit ourselves to an earthly court of law because we can't work this out, you've already lost. It'd be better for you to just take the, take the hit. <laughs> than for both of you to, to drag this thing out into, the, into a public court. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So anyway, that's another kind of vulnerability where you can just say, you know what, for the sake of this relationship, I, w- I will be wrong. And it, it doesn't have to be a lawsuit level thing, you know, if... Well, I won't get into examples. I can think of a lot of examples, but it's a can of worms. And then forgiveness, right? I mentioned Matthew 18, which is the process of if someone sins against you, you go and tell them. If they hear you, you've gained your brother. If they don't hear you, take two or three more. If you still don't hear you, bring it for the church. You know, you kind of increase these levels of this person really is walking in sin. Now, this isn't... That's not, a, that's not a principle for you bringing up your opinion of someone or sharing a, a critique you have of the way that they live. That's not necessarily sinful. If it's like a preferential thing or just an opinion type thing, <laughs> you don't escalate it to the point of bringing it before the church. You know, I believe that my brother here should not drive a pickup truck because it's bad for the environment. Well... We're not going to make that a church discipline issue, right? Scripture's silent on, on pickup trucks, okay? We're talking, that, I mean, that's a, it's for clear sin. But the process is also good for, um, the, the principles underneath the process are, look them in the eye. Have a conversation. That's the first thing. Can you be vulnerable enough to go and just share that thing with them? Right? Can you take a first step of vulnerability and say, yeah, here's what I think. Are you willing to bring that out? And also willing for that to be wrong. Right after Jesus describes that, Peter says, <laughs> Peter, he says, so how many times do I have to forgive my brother after he sins against me? And this is when Jesus kind of blows the lid off the whole thing. When we talk about forgiveness. And this is really what undergirds all of this. And the kind of thing that can drive us to have the humility, the fear, and the trembling as we work out our salvation in our relationships is the parable that Jesus tells of the king who had a debtor and he forgave him an enormous debt. I forget the modern equivalent. It's like in the millions of dollars. It's in like the talents of gold. All right, so he forgives this guy the debt. This guy goes and he's got some people that he's lent you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks to... 
And he goes and starts to choke them and beat them to get them to pay up. And then the king finds out about this. He goes, wait, this is the guy that I forgave millions of dollars. He's going around hitting people up for $20, 50 bucks and getting violent about it. We're going to toss this guy. He's going to go into prison and he's not going to get out until he's paid back every penny. If he wants to choke people out for the nickels and dimes, I'm going to choke him out for the nickels and dimes. It's a sobering parable. And then Jesus says, you, all, you have to forgive each other or your Father in heaven is not going to forgive you. This is, this is big stuff. right? I believe in unconditional love. I believe that God is immensely graceful. But we can... We can disqualify ourselves from forgiveness if we will not forgive the offenses that people... I mean, the stuff that we hold unforgiveness in our hearts for is pennies in comparison with the debt that Christ died to forgive us for. Okay? And we have to come back... We have to consider this. If you, if you are in a relational struggle... And, and, and you're dealing with some sort of hurt or offense, you need to hold that up. Weigh it, as uh, uh, Ishmael says in, the, in Moby Dick, weigh it in the scales of the New Testament and see where you get. And that's why he says, no, it's not seven times. It's 70 times seven. If somebody comes to you and asks you for forgiveness, you forgive them. Just like your Father in Heaven has forgiven you. If you truly want to be His Son, if you want to obey His commands, you forgive the people that come to you for forgiveness. And if you don't, God's just going to treat you the way you treat other people. Does that make sense? It's deeply convicting. To hold up the hurts and the offenses that I've harbored in my heart towards other people to that light. Because it's, it's not even a question. Like as soon as you go there, you go, oh my goodness. But that's what walking in the light is. Bring that stuff out into the light. Look at it in light of the blood of Jesus. Oh my goodness. That's why when we walk in the light, then we have fellowship. We have fellowship with each other. We, we are a fellowship of people who have been forgiven enormous debts. And so how could we possibly walk around with each other and live life together in a way that keeps these little records of little, little tiny debts here? Let it go. Forgive. Now, tell someone, hey, this really hurt. I forgive you. But you need to know that that hurt. For your sake. Because you, you don't want them to go around and hurting people still. And they shouldn't want to be hurtful. Right? So it helps them to know, all right, yeah, I can do this. But we don't say those things so that we can have a leg up on someone. So that they can be in debt to us. We say it so that they can grow in love in the way that we have been given an opportunity to grow in love as well. Amen? All right, so walking in the light, this is not uh, 
some sort of end goal in the process, right? This is, this is life itself. Uh, it's being committed to the process. Walk in the light, we commit ourselves to this. And it's go, it's, it, is a, it is a lifetime of commitment to this thing. This is the lifestyle of mature relationship within the family of God. Children who do things the way dad does it, do it like this. All right, and that's what walking in the light, that's what honesty, vulnerability, forgiveness is. That is how we forge the fellowship uh, of the body of Christ. Amen? Well, these are, these are great teachings to prepare us for the, for the table. Almost really nothing needs to be said, except I want to point this out. And I want to remind us of this uh, moving forward. That the two, the two points of examination as we come up to the table. One is, do you have unrepented sin that you are walking in? Don't come to the table if you have not repented earnestly of known sin in your life. Okay, that's one thing. The second thing is, are there little $20 debts that you've not forgiven? Don't come to the table. First, go and be reconciled. Right? Just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to approach the table in a flippant way. You've, you've been just walking in blatant sin. You've been in rebellion. You should not approach the table. You should do business with God. If you have something in your heart toward a brother or a sister and you've been holding on to it and you've not shared it, do not come to the table. This table says, I've been forgiven. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me from my sins. And I have entered into the fellowship of those who have been forgiven and who forgive one another. That's what this meal is about. It's a meal of unity. It's a meal of fellowship. It is table fellowship in the kingdom of God. And if you're not walking in fellowship in the way that we've talked about, come into fellowship. Enter into fellowship by walking in the light. Right? Just like hidden sin needs to be confessed and turned from, hidden hurts, hidden stuff, hidden relationship things need to be brought into the light so the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? So, not just tonight, but I, I want to remind us that we take relationship so seriously in honesty and Leviticus 19.17 and many other verses. We take it so seriously to say that do not come to the table unless you've taken it seriously or unless you've examined yourself. Do I have anything in, inside of me? So people often examine themselves in terms of between me and God, is there any sin that's separating me? But you need to look at your relationships. And what a powerful thing. If you did not come to the table, went and found that person, or maybe you got to go call them, step out and do that instead. If this table reminded us, oh, I need to make it right with so-and-so. Just like, I need to make it right with God. This table should remind us, we need to be clear in our hearts towards each other before we come and join the meal uh, of the people who have been forgiven enormous debts.
Amen? Amen. All right. Father, we thank you for your blood and your broken body, uh, Lord, that, that reminds us of what love really is. Lord, we are reminded of the way that you said, this isn't a new commandment. It's what you've heard from the beginning, but it's new because now you've seen it in the flesh. You have seen what love is. It is a broken body. It is the poured out blood of the Son of God, the the pure and spotless Lamb. And so, Lord, we want to come to the table tonight um, in humility, in fear and trembling. Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit to help examine our hearts. Search us, Lord. Lord, we know that we can't, um, we can't clean ourselves up to come to this meal. But Lord, we can get to the place of, of desperation and humility before you that says we need this meal. Lord, we need this meal. We need your forgiveness. We need your grace. And so we receive it with humble hearts that have earnestly repented of sin and have, uh, have found peace with our brothers and sisters in our hearts. God, I pray that you, would, um, that you would bring this church into a new depth of honesty and depth of relationship, depth of familiness, Lord, of covenantal relationship, Lord where we are in the light, where we are seen, where we are known. And Lord, where uh, where your love can truly work between us as we are seen and known and as we are uh, walking in the light. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.